Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans, uh, where um, our website is TheEaglesBeak.com, and we're on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. Hi, I'm John from PlayTaga.com. I'm available on Twitter at FantasyGaffer, and... Uh, Play Talk is going to be launching the Women's World Cup Challenge, the first ever mobile game specifically for the Women's World Cup uh, this May, uh, ahead of the launch of the Women's World Cup on June 6th. Hi, I'm Kieran. I'm the founder, producer, and presenter of Women's Soccer Zone, a dedicated women's football podcast that is released fortnightly. We cover women's football from around the globe and interview some of the biggest players from all over the world. Awesome. Uh, As they've kind of clued in a little bit, we're going to do a special edition of the EPL Roundtable here, and we're going to be discussing the women's game and and, uh, look forward to the Women's World Cup, which, as John mentioned, is coming up in early June. So we're going to still do Making the Rounds, but instead of it being about our clubs, we're going to be talking about how and why did you first become interested in the women's game. We'll start off with Jay. Yeah, it's pretty simple, really. It's uh, really around the growth of the Crystal Palace ladies football team. The past couple of years have been pretty big for the club um, in as a whole. It's it's a really good setup, actually. As uh, uh, all ages they play, um, they have the first team with a couple of development sides below the reserves and a development couple of sides. Uh, and I've been down to see them on a few occasions. I went down a couple of weeks ago to see some of the younger teams play in a, in a couple of their cup finals. Uh, and it's it's decent football. I mean, the, the the way that the Palace Club is run is um, they work on youth and to all all the teams to play in the same the same kind of manner. So that if they do uh, get promoted throughout the club, they end up being knowing the system and knowing how to play. And it seems it seems to work well. My first interest in it was last season when we started promoting the Palace ladies on 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 our website. They were pleased to get the extra exposure because the women's game, particularly below the revamped uh, Women's Super League, doesn't really get the coverage, particularly at club level. Um, And it's really helped, actually, because I know the official club site has now taken an interest in the Palace ladies. Um, They were promoted last season from from one of the lower divisions. They're now currently playing the South East Division 1, which is just below the Premier League, and that Premier League is just below the Women's Super League. So that's how the setup is. But with the announcement that the Women's Super League is going to be expanding next season um, I think the the, 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 the WSL 1 is going to have a, an additional team and the WSL 2 is going to have another another team added to that and it's going to be like a promotion relegation um, so there's going to be a link into the Premier League so it's you know it's a big thing for the for the clubs like Palace that are, that are just on the fringes um, and there is 
perhaps talk or rumour talk about a, a, a third women's Super League being uh, set up at some stage in the future. So um, it's really good. And that's really where my interest came from. I had a chat with the Palisades chairman, uh, Richard Spokes, top guy, um, very enthusiastic about the women's game and very proud, rightly so, about the way that the Palace Ladies Football Club have um, gone about their business in the last few years and really become um, a bit more of a focus around Crystal Palace, the actual club itself. Uh, obviously, in the men's football, take precedence, but it's you know they're pushing their way into um, people's uh, you know people's knowledge and and you know that we're trying to raise their, the awareness of the club on social media and on our site. We have a weekly update from the club on our on our website itself. So um, it, it's it's. It, that's where the interest really came um, for me. And obviously, you know, with the, on a bigger scale, the, the England women's team uh, being shown a lot more regularly on, on, on UK TV, uh, obviously adds to, uh, as to football. And obviously the, you know, the sellout crowd at Wembley against Germany relatively recently just shows that the women's game is, is, is really on the up. And I think it's, uh, you know, it can go a long way. Now they've sorted out the pyramid a bit better than it was before um, to give clubs like Palace uh, you know, a better, you know, a, a better future in terms of looking ahead and where they can go. So, um, you know, the sky is kind of limit for some of these clubs if they run properly um, and go about their business properly. So, so yeah, I, I'm hoping that we're 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 helping the club to um, engage with fans, and we know that um, Palace are one of the better supported clubs outside the Women's Super League. We have a lot of fans that go to games um, because they are relatively local, but. More than that, a lot of the fans do travel to away games. I think we had quite a few travel to to watch Palace play Norwich at the weekend, and this is their first season in the um, in the Southeast uh, Premier League, um, and they're currently third at the moment. And um, you know, it's, it's been a really good showing from them. You know, they play some decent football, and they're and they're pressing the top two. It's difficult to say whether they're in the realistic shout of promotion this season because um, the, the leading team, I think, is MK Dons are at the top at the moment. Um, I, I, you know, I put I kind of uh, put getting the points and putting it away, but there are a few fixtures between now and the end of the season that could, you know, that that could uh, you know play a part. So we'll see what happens. But that's really our interest in the Palace ladies um, in women's football, and obviously, you know, above that as well, international football. You know, takes more, a bit more of an interest, and you know, it's really getting it into the into the, uh, the you know, general fan psyche really, and, and knowing that the women's club is around and and they're actually doing good things. Yeah, I, to, to reiterate some of what Jay just said, I do think that my interest uh, also lies in having the, the growth of the global game, especially the global game uh, in the United States, uh, be reflected across both men's and women's sport. You know, growing up in the United States in, in the 80s and into the 90s, it was the American women that were the dominant team uh, on the international scene and were certainly, um, you know, performing better in international competitions than the men's national team were. You know, obviously, in, in 1999, the United States hosted the Women's World Cup. It had that uh, very famous global image of Brandy Chastain winning the, the cup with the, the last penalty taken and the palpable sense of accomplishment uh, with respect to football uh, that I felt as, as a football supporter in the United States and not ever really having a home uh, really was born out of the success that the women's national team had. Uh, I know that just in the last year, really my, uh, my desire to follow the women's game and um, professionally write about the women's game and cover it more has grown as well as we've prepared for Canada 2015. And I just, some of the steps that have been taken in, in the very recent past, um, I'm, I'm a highlight too, 
really make me believe that the women's game is is slowly inching towards being on level footing with the men's game. Maybe not on the club level yet, although a lot of the points that Jay just made are, are wonderful to hear uh, and do speak to the the supporter culture that's growing uh, for the the women's professional clubs as well. But the recent Nike launch of a men's cut of the women's yeah. national team jersey is is a phenomenal step in the right direction, in my opinion. I know that you know, a number of the women uh, that are in the industry that I've spoken to have been blown away by the response they've gotten, have been floored by seeing you know men supporters, male supporters, you know, proudly wearing that kit already. It's only been out maybe a week or two weeks, and, and they're already flying off the shelves, and that's been phenomenal. And uh, you know, with respect to what we're doing with Taga, um, you know, we felt that there was this gap with the women's game not getting the recognition that the men's game gets. And that comes from all facets of supporter culture. That comes from having vibrant uh, supporter groups. That comes from being present at the matches. That comes from equal media coverage. And honestly, that comes from all of the the other attendant aspects of having a really successful sport. And one of those is having a successful fantasy game. Uh, You know, in the United States uh, over the last 10 years, you've seen the explosion of fantasy sports and how that ties directly into the increased marketing revenue for sports like the NFL, Major League Baseball, National Basketball Association. And there is no uh, fantasy game for women's sport uh, outside of the Women's World Cup Challenge, which we'll be launching in a couple of weeks. And personally, I'm, I'm very proud to have been a part of getting that off the ground. And I'm really excited to be working with you guys about covering that, uh, covering the Women's World Cup uh, in Canada this summer, and really continuing uh, a a fandom for the women's game that started in the, in the mid nineties. Well, my interest, first of all, I would like to say thank you very much for inviting me onto the show. I didn't get a chance to say that on the intro. Um, so women's soccer zone launched about two years ago. My interest in women's football, uh, probably came about six years ago. I used to work as a, as a local journalist in my hometown of Watford. And for anyone that follows the women's game, they will know that Kelly Smith, who is a, is a high profile player over here in England, is a fellow what we would call Watfordian. And I was introduced to her through a mutual friend and, and interviewed her. And, and my interest really stemmed from there and, and started doing a bit of blogging a few years ago and started to get in contact with players over social media for interviews. And, and back then, there wasn't really that interest. You know, you could approach a player on Twitter and, and say, would you like to be spoken to or would you like to be interviewed? And, and nine times out of 10, they would come back and they would be incredibly enthusiastic about it. And over the time that I've covered the game, certainly the game has grown here and in different countries across the globe. And, and that kind of prompted me to start up my own show a couple of years ago, because as far as I was aware in England, there wasn't one. So um, in the two years that we've been running Women's Soccer Zone, which I should say and didn't say in the intro, you can find on audioboom.com forward slash Zone and can follow us on Twitter on at Zone. Um, you know, we've interviewed some of, you know, from players from, from all over the world. We've interviewed over 100 players and, and staff from 15 different countries. And uh, we've been able to speak to them about their footballing careers and their lives off of the pitch and, and try and give fans and, and supporters of the women's game access to to players that they maybe don't get for other avenues. The, the media coverage is certainly increasing. But what I try and do is is offer something a little bit different, try and give a little bit of insight into the people behind the players. And, and that's certainly been successful up to now. And because of my background in journalism, I've been able to do a little bit of writing. I write for a, a publication over here in the UK uh, called She Kicks magazine. Certainly recommend people check that one out. Um, and I also write for a magazine out in the States called Our Game, equally as, 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 as popular. 
um, and certainly worth a read. And uh, thankfully, um, because of the interest that I have in the women's game, I will be going out to the Women's World Cup in Canada and spending a week in Winnipeg and, and covering a few of the games and, and certainly try and get to as many games as I can, both here and in Europe. I was out in Sweden in 2013 for the European Championships, just as a spectator at that time. Uh, went out to Seattle last year and, and watched a few games in the NWSL. Uh, and I'll be in Berlin in a couple of weeks for the UEFA Women's Champions League final, which takes place between Paris Saint-Germain and FFC Frankfurt. So that's really where my interest comes from. Awesome. Yeah, mine uh, came surprisingly close to really when I started following the sport as a whole, just, just as recently as 2009, 2010. Um and then pretty much the 2011 Women's World Cup just really grabbed my attention, kind of like John mentioned it did for him earlier in life, where, you know, and we're hoping to, to help uh, fix this problem as well, which is, you know, summer is often a dead period in the sporting calendar, and there's a tremendous sporting event happening this summer that I feel was underrepresented, and it's why uh, I'm, I'm happy to, be, to, to say that we're going to cover it and, and talk about it because it's shining light on what is tremendous sport. Um, just for me, as Kevin DeVries, I, I have uh, a, a cousin that plays women's basketball and, and has for some time. And I feel like that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. Like the, the first time um, you start following women's sport, because I know a, a lot of the talking points are, you know, that it's at a lesser level. But if, if you don't address that and you, you just watch it yourself, it has the same aspects of everything like John said it has the same highs the Brandy Chastain thing it has the same lows it's it's all the same sport that we all love and care about so to disregard it just because of gender I, I think is a little bit uh insane so very happy that we're we're covering this as for my interest in women's football as a whole like I said happened pretty soon into my interest as a whole but the 2011 one I, I had a friend that was was really really into it and and so I, I tagged along. We went to most of the U.S. matches. And, you know, there were people doing all the chants that all the Europeans hate that we do with the I believe that we can wins and, and the USA chants. And a group of people just randomly started singing the national anthem during the penalty shootout uh, against Brazil, I think it was. Um, so just all those kind of, like, memories just really cemented it from that point onwards. Um, unfortunately, haven't really followed most of the league. There, I, there was a restructure, kind of like what Jay was talking about. Uh, in the U.S. with the WPS folding and then kind of the NWSL being reborn from that with with support from the, the Canadian, uh, Mexican, and U.S. Uh, football federation. So um, is is definitely a new thing to watch ever since Jim Fishlock has been on, kind of keeping an eye out for Seattle Reign uh, as, as his sister plays for them. And I, I know um, Kieran mentioned getting over to see them as well. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to, to learn more about it as opposed to, you know, most of our EPL roundtable ones and coming at it more from kind of an, a quote-unquote expert point of view. I, I, I'm very grateful to be able to come on and, and probably learn a lot more about a sport that definitely needs more recognition. All right, and so on to, it's a pretty good segue on to the topic, which is, what do you make of the growth of the women's game? We've already mentioned the restructurings that have gone on, the popularity jumps, which John has mentioned with his fantasy stats and stuff. So what do you make of the growth that's been recently made, and how do you think it could be kind of accelerated going forward? Yeah, I think from a UK perspective, I think the biggest thing is the uh, is live TV contract with BT Sport. I think that was a big... Um, 
you know, big big progress for the for the women's game. Um, that you can watch watch the games, uh, live games on TV, just like you can Premier League. So, you know, the, it was about time that happened. Um, it, it, it's become a, a, you know a saleable sport in this country. Uh, you know, much the same as uh, the Premier League has and Championship football. Obviously, not on the same level, but um, you know, it, it, it's all it's all a start. And you know, there were glimpses of women's football on on terrestrial TV, but not nothing. Um, regular and uh, as as much as uh, they show on BT Sport now, so the coverage um, on on TV now is um, is is very good. Um, the international football obviously is the same when England play. Um, you can you can often get to see the game. So th- th- there's a lot of progress in that respect, and I think that comes from the restructuring and and the fact that they have two, uh, you know, the WSL one and two. They you know they they've restructured to, to in a way that um, has made it. So you know something that can that can sell and, and something that people can look at and, and make it a little bit more um, competitive and interesting and, and as I mentioned earlier the pyramid as well keeps other other teams interested because this is a this is a sport where teams can um, rise up from from the lower parts of the pyramid if they run properly and and things are done in the right way and they play and they play football through the divisions and they can they can get to or they will be able to get to um you know top divisions um just like you can in uh, in in men's football in this country and and all of that is fantastic in its own way and obviously one of the biggest things as well is um um John just mentioned fancy football. I mean, women's fancy football—that is—that is a great move, I think, because fancy, fancy games across the world, particularly in America and the UK, are are massive. I mean, Kev knows I play fancy baseball, fa- fancy basketball, fancy NFL, and, and obviously fancy football. I mean, they're all—you know—everyone gets involved. It, it creates the additional interest, um, and I think that will be—you know—if if if that's promoted in the right way and 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 is picked up by fans and you know, it can be something that would help promote the game and help people learn about the game as well because women's football is still something that fans need to learn about. Very similar to me, and Kev mentioned that, you know, outside of the football in this country, women's football in this country, international level, I haven't really watched an awful lot of, so it'd be great. I'm looking forward to watching the tournament um, and, and, you know, a bit of education for me as well in terms of... Uh, uh, in terms of you know some of the players and bigger names, and hopefully I'll be able to pick up on some of the names that um, I can roll off a tongue just like I can Ronaldo and Messi. I mean, you know, it's going to be good to um, you know be involved and watch it from from the next level up from what I'm used to watching uh, watching in the UK. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that the whole game is now um, very much more attractive than it used to be. Um, on TV, which is obviously the big thing, it's easier for people to to watch when they want to. But I think the main thing is this summary. I think it's I think it's massive for women's football uh, in terms of the World Cup. Kev touched on it that you know there's no real other football going on um, uh, over this summer, um, so it's something that fans can um, perhaps get into. And with the addition of fan, you know, fantasy football, women's football, um, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it, um, and hopefully um, a lot of other fans who haven't watched women's football before um, can perhaps watch the World Cup and come out the other side and come down and support some of the local sides that are playing football in and around the country as well. Yeah, I completely agree with all the sentiment, Jay. And I'm just going to plead a little bit of ignorance because I don't know how much television coverage uh, Canada 2015 is going to be getting uh, in in the UK, um, in any of those countries or in any of the other European countries for that matter. But in the United States, I believe, sorry, go ahead. I believe believe our main, uh, one of our main terrestrial channels are going to be showing. 
showing the women's Tour cup which is uh, which which is good news i think it's it, you know it'd be easier for fans to be able to tune into and uh, and watch which is uh, which is obviously good no, it's excellent. So when I when I look at, at the evolution of uh, women's sport in the United States, specifically the women's national team, um, you know, going back to the '90s, one of the things that was always uh, synonymous with the women's national team was having an iconic player. So you know, it was uh, Mia Hamm, and it became Brandi Chastain, or you have Abby Wambach now, and you see that um, there are other players that are slowly coming in behind um, Abby to fill that, whether it's you know, Alex Morgan or uh, Sidney LaRue or, or any of a number of, of other players that are really being heavily marketed, not only by the women's national team itself, but also, you know, by Nike and, and by other uh, sponsors. And so I think one of the things that I think is going to help accelerate this is if we do have all of our best players, um, you know, all of the best women's players healthy and able to play. So actually, Kieran, I had a question for you. I know that uh, England's captain, Steph Houghton, is, has just come back from injury in March. And, and is there any report on her progress? You know, are, are there any other... A notable omissions that you feel might be missing from the World Cup or women that might not be quite recovered or match fit? Well, well Steph was actually in the Manchester City women's match squad uh, for their last game. So it looks like she's back and she will be fit for the tournament. Um, I've actually just, while we've been chatting, tweeted out that uh, Jodie Taylor, who is an English forward, who's actually playing for the Portland Thorns, um, the Thorns have put a press release out in the last 15, 20 minutes saying that She's just undergone successful knee surgery and is going to be out for about three weeks. So it's going to be touching as to whether she's announcing the squad or not. But um, yeah, Mark Sampson has, a, has an interesting selection dilemma that he has to face up to because he's got a few players coming off of injury. Steph Horton being one that you mentioned. Lucy Bronze, a defender for Manchester City women, is just returning from injury as well. And, and Karen Carney, a midfielder for Birmingham City, uh, who's been in the England setup for about 10 years, she's just returned. To, from injury for Birmingham City as well. So, yeah, Steph was in the match squad last week, so she should be okay. But it's just interesting to see how many minutes those players will get before the uh, before the World Cup actually takes place. Awesome. Um, yeah, we we did have a uh, conversation with with Jay on this last year um, when we had on one of the Crystal Palace ladies players, um, oh. and that that was a lot of fun. And I think a lot of those points still kind of stay the same. I do think it's good that. It is, like, third time mentioning it, but the restructuring seemed to have worked well uh, on both sides of the pond. Um, I'm, I am really glad. I think the fantasy aspect is huge because it, it drew a whole lot of people back to baseball when baseball was really struggling with the post-steroid era. Um, the television thing is absolutely huge. Um, it's why all of a sudden next year we're going to get tons of American-based you know, German football sites and stuff like that, because all of a sudden the Bundesliga is going to be televised here. So if there could be some kind of um, unified TV deal, that that would obviously be absolutely massive. I think it was you, Jay, last year that mentioned um, that it would be a really good idea to have the women's matches on before the Premier League matches. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, how some of the clubs feel about that, but I think it would add something to perhaps match day. You know, not, everybody, not all fans will want to... Um, yeah, we'll want to go and watch women's football. I mean, that's just a fact. But um, I think perhaps, you know, it's, it, it, it's an idea to think about. I think it would um, add to the match day experience. It would add to the fact that it would add to revenue for clubs as well because you'll have fans coming in uh, into the ground earlier. I mean, I know uh, from a Palace perspective, 
Um, the build-up of fans, literally quarter to quarter to three for a three o'clock kickoff, is is huge. I mean, the amount of fans that come in, you know, just before the the game. But if there is something on before, if there's a game on before that, I'm I'm sure a lot of fans would go along to watch. I know I certainly would. And obviously, you know, the additional revenue in the ground for you know refreshments and things like that. Um, I I, th- I think it would be perhaps something something to think about because I think that sometimes when you watch the, the women's football in this country on the TV, you don't quite you don't get the crowds like you do in the Premier League or Championship or even lower than that. Um, I think that's one thing that's perhaps missing. But you know, with, with you know with promoting the game uh, more and more and with, with the World Cup, it will attract fans going to games. But I think that would help. I think you know, not I'm not saying every week, but certainly. Um, you know, obviously the, the WSL one and two actually are played uh, more so into the summer as the season's finishing in Premier League. Now it's it kind of overlaps a little bit, but uh, most of it's played at a different time. But even so, um, you know, we play Palace. I know play a lot of under twenty one games at at, at about four four in a season. But even those, you know, it's a similar kind of thing. I, I you know I wonder whether they could kind of tie that into being played before a game, as you mentioned, Kev. It's um, I, I still think it uh, could be a good idea, but whether it's logistical, I don't know. Yeah, and interestingly enough, both Jay and Karen have mentioned, uh, you know, the, the rise of technology in the recent years uh, playing a role in the uh, the ability to to reach out and have a direct con, you know, uh, direct contact with a lot of the women that are actually playing professionally, playing for their for their national mm. teams. Um, and I do wonder how how much the segmenting of entertainment and the immediacy uh, that social media provides is going to help grow the women's game because you are seeing, um, you know, if you look on Twitter, you do see a lot more uh, interaction with the women's players and their fans um, with the official club accounts uh, for the, the, you know, the English uh, and the American professional leagues really reaching out, engaging their fans, being very um, aware of their ability to directly influence this new generation of soccer fans that, that are coming up uh, with a, a strong women's football presence. And I think it's really wonderful to see. I, I do hope that, you know, we're able to get a little bit of a foothold with, um, with the fantasy app that we're doing, even in the last four years with respect to the premier league, um, You've seen, I mean, a massive growth in the way that fantasy is handled there. That that professional, excuse me, the the um, the Premier League's official app used to have, you know, something like seven hundred thousand players, and this year I believe the league's over three and a half million, and that's you know just in the last three or four years. And if we can experience a similar kind of growth within the women's game, within covering the women's game, uh, and you know, the media from from all aspects, be it uh, print, podcasting, terrestrial radio, and obviously television would be. Uh, massive um, all of that is, is only going to be fueled by a you know a very competitive tournament obviously none of us have actually mentioned yet but an expanded tournament there'll be 24 teams kicking off uh, mm. at Canada 2015 the largest field ever to play in a women's world cup finals uh, so there'll be uh, six hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Groups of four and getting women's football off the ground in more countries, supporting it financially in more countries. It's, it's just a really wonderful time to be a part of this growth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to what Jay was saying about trying to play maybe games before Premier League games or before men's games, I know the Doncaster Rovers Bells in the FAWSL 2, they play at the Keep Moat Stadium, which is the stadium, same stadium that the men play. And they've actually had games yeah, after, after a men's league game. And I know that I think there tends to be about an hour, hour and a half gap between the men's game finishing and the women's game starting. And if you're asking a family with young children to hang around after a game to, 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 to watch a women's game, it's not necessarily going to be something that they're going to do. You know, a men's game tends to finish 4.45, 5 o'clock. You're looking at the women's game kicking off sometime between 6 and 6.30. A lot of people will disappear. But I think Jay raises a good point. It would be interesting to see how a game might work if it was before the men's game. But I'm, I'm almost certain that there may well be reservations amongst managers and players of those men's teams that would probably have a problem with the, the pitch being cut up by a game taking place beforehand, 90 minutes on a pitch, and then a game taking place not long afterwards. I'm almost certain that there would be reservations over that. And, you know, whether that would work, I don't know. But in terms of how relationship works with clubs, I think in England, the relationship between the men's and the women's teams is definitely increasing. I look at Liverpool ladies as an example uh, the, the, the women's team last season on one occasion certainly trained with the men's team. Um, the Arsenal and Chelsea teams are very closely linked together as well. You'll see them promote each other through social media. Out in the States, uh, the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns have exactly the same websites. The Houston Dynamo and the Houston Dash have exactly the same. Have, have, the Houston Dash have a section on the Houston Dynamo website. So, the men's teams are definitely taking more interest in the women's sides and through that promotion and through that marketing opportunities that they have, it is helping to promote the game. But there's still a long way to go. There's no doubt about that. Awesome. Well, that was definitely a fun discussion to have and we definitely look forward to seeing how it grows in the future. And obviously, the World Cup will have the same impact on people interested in women's football as the regular World Cup has, has for men's where... You know, it's a chance to kind of reinvigorate your passion in it um, and then hopefully carry that on to, to the domestic seasons. Um, up next, we're going to have Player Watch, which we have during the EPL Roundtable as well. But we're going to be talking about a player and a country that you're looking forward to seeing this summer. We'll start off with Jay. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, as um, as John mentioned, it's uh, it, it's it's the biggest World Cup for for, for women's football. Um, I think uh, six groups of four. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there, but six groups of four, I believe, um, going to be playing in Canada. And you can't you can't see much further than you know top ranked sides in in the competition, the likes of Germany, USA. Um, but I, I quite you know you're looking at teams which um, you know England are outsiders for this. Um, I think you only have to look at going back to the game at Wembley against Germany 
um, while that was quite quite a big uh, a big event, you know, for for, for English women's football and and, and for fifty five or thousand fans to be there to watch the game was uh, was a real milestone for the game. Um, but it, the Germany showed their class throughout the game. I don't think England overawed so much. I, I think Germany just showed their class. I think Germany and USA are the two teams to beat for me, um, just through doing some of, some of my own research. In terms of players, I'm not going to kid myself and say that I know a lot about the the international players across the world. Um, but doing a few, I mean, looking at a few uh, a few stats on players, you've got the likes of. Uh, American Alex Morgan, um, also the uh, the German uh, is it Mar- Marazan? I think um, yep. she's high, she's highly Mar- rated. Yep, um, and also you know you, you got a few American players in kind of the top ten um, players in world football. Abby Wambach, I think you mentioned earlier as well. Um, so so yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of good a lot of good players in there, and obviously Hope Solo is one that a lot of a lot of fans will already know. Um, you know over over the years being the American keeper. Um, so. I, I'm really looking forward to watching the football, um, you know, in the summer, um, particularly as one of our main channels here are, are, are showing um, a fair bit of the uh, coverage, which is which is good, um, and, and hopefully it will help to promote the game on, you know, not just international level but on a domestic level here as well. Yeah, for me, it's it's um, I do want to see the German team and Kieran and Jay. You know, correct me if I'm getting my pronunciation wrong, but Germany does have the the back to back reigning uh, World uh, Women's Players of the Year, Uh, one being their goalkeeper Nadine uh, Andrew, and the second being uh, their young midfielder Nadine Kessler, uh, who who just won it this past year over Marta of Brazil uh, and the United States, Abby Wambach. And Germany's playing uh, in a group that really may test them a bit more than I think people are expecting, just because they're grouped with Ivory Coast and with Norway. And Norway, for those who are unaware, just another uh, world power, particularly a European power that boasts a phenomenal collection of both attacking and defensive players. Uh, for me, the players that I guess I'm most looking forward to seeing are, are how traditional rivalries uh, transition to, uh, to the women's game. So in first-round matches, we're going to have a France-England match. Uh, we're going to have a, a Brazil-Spain clash. And that Spain side is very interesting. Uh, a large number of the players that play for uh, the Spanish women's national team also play their club football at uh, Barcelona. Um, and they've won now, I guess, four consecutive league titles. So while they don't necessarily have a lot of international accolades uh, to their name, their ledger domestically is phenomenal. And being able to see them maybe step out of the shadow of some of the larger uh, women's teams uh, like the United States, like Brazil, like Germany, uh, and maybe make a, a name for themselves at this tournament is, is fascinating to watch. Where do I start with this question? Um, very, very difficult. Uh, we're just going to nip off for like 10 minutes if you just want. <laughs> I'll keep it brief. I'll keep it. Jay actually stole my thunder a little bit because I actually did a, oh, a, sorry. Did, a, did a show when, uh, when the groups were drawn and uh, I did it with a few fellow, fellow journalists from, from various parts of the world and we all picked a player out and Jennifer Marajan was, was one of the players that I picked out. So fair play, Jay, for doing your research. Um, Germany and USA, certainly two of the favourites. I'd also put France up there. France are incredibly talented from back to front. They have some world-class players within their team. Um, they have a, a forward, Gaetan Tine, who, who plays for a uh, team, Juvisi, who, who um, are a team that have fallen away a little bit in the French league, have fallen behind 
uh, Lyon and, and Paris Saint-Germain, but uh, she's certainly one of the players that stands up for the French team, uh, as, along with uh, Louise Inesib and, and uh, Camille Abelie, two midfielders uh, who, who certainly stand out. Um, for the Germans, you, someone mentioned Nadine Kessler. Unfortunately for Nadine, she, she went and underwent knee surgery in March. So she's touch and go for the World Cup. It's, it's probably unlikely that she's going to make it, unfortunately. And, and you're right, she is the she was voted the the, the Ballon d'Or winner, and, and Nadine Angara was meant, uh, was the winner last year. So even without Kessler, Germany are certainly a team to watch, and, and for a lot of people are the favourites. The US again, very very strong, lots of depth. They actually have already announced their 23 player roster, um, along with Canada, USA. Um, sorry, Canada and France uh, and Mexi- and the South Koreans are, are the only teams that have announced their squads so far. In terms of players that I'm probably looking to to make people aware of, maybe I'll go for a few younger players that maybe people haven't heard of. Uh, there's a Norwegian striker, Ada Hegerberg, um, who is a former Tabina Potsdam striker who used to play in Germany. She now plays for Lyon in France. Lyon Although not the current UEFA Women's Champions League uh, holders, a very, very strong team in Europe, have quality from back to front. And and Ega Hegerberg, at 19 years old, joined them last season um, and in her first year for the club has has had an impressive year. Um, So she's one to watch. And and for Holland, um, striker Vivian Meerdema, 18 Mm. years old, uh, joined Bayern Munich out in the Frauen Bundesliga in Germany um, last summer, has just had her first season and has impressed uh, in Germany, um, certainly a player to look out for. Mia Dima, very, very quick and, and a very exciting attacking player. Um, and I guess being based in England, I should probably pick an English player as well. So I'm, I'm going to pick Arsenal ladies midfielder Jordan Nobbs, uh, a player that's really developed over the last two or three years, become a really important player for club and country. Um, and I know that someone mentioned that England are probably outsiders. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think quarterfinals is probably path for England anything more than that is a bonus anything less than that is probably a disappointment Kev can I just jump in on the, on the back of what Kieran said because as uh, as you know I do love my stats whether they're mm. the general goals or chances created anything that I can sink my teeth into but uh, the young uh, Norwegian striker that Kieran was talking about Ada Hergerberg has uh, from the research that I did she scored 15 senior goals already in 31 senior appearances uh, at the age of 19 Jeez. and um, as he did mention, uh, the French forward, uh, Tine, she, and Kieran, correct me if I'm wrong, but she led um, all the players in European qualifying this round uh, with 13 goals. And uh, in the, the writing that I've been doing, I've been and uh, I've been touting her as one of the players on the short list uh, as a favorite for the Golden Boot at Canada. Absolutely correct. Yeah, Tine, definitely one of the players to look out for in terms of the Golden Boot. Celia Sasic, who is another German striker who I didn't mention, will, will probably be up there as well. I mean, this is what I was saying, where where do I start? There are so many talented and gifted players in the women's game that people will hopefully discover in this World Cup. It's going to be exciting. And I think, as Jay mentioned, biggest women's World Cup in history. We're traditionally used to seeing 16 teams. This time around, we'll see 24. So we're going to see even more players able to show what they're capable of. Yeah, um, for me, you know, a uh, huge supporter of the men's national team for, for both the U.S. and Netherlands. Um, Netherlands, again, <laughs> we, we should have just named this podcast, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but this is the first time that uh, the Dutch team has made it, correct? 
Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It will be the Dutch's first uh, Women's World Cup. And yeah, but they, they finished third in 2009 in the Euros. Um, didn't make it out of the group stage. But yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see how that goes, busting out the orange kit in a year that I wasn't sure I'd need to. Um, and they will also be hosting the European Championships in two years' time as well. So they will uh, certainly have an opportunity to make an impression this time round, and hopefully for them. Uh, be ready to host uh, the Euros in 2017. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, would you think that they have a pretty solid chance of getting out of that group, likely behind hosts Canada? Yeah, I mean, that that one, Canada will be favourites for that group, but it's anyone's after that. And, and Holland have some very exciting young talents. I mentioned Mia Diemer already. Uh, they have a very experienced player, Manon Mellis, who plays her football out in Sweden, which is one of the major leagues in Europe. And um, they'll, they'll fancy themselves. You know, they came through... Um, they came for a difficult playoff to qualify for the World Cup against Italy over two legs and um, they're, they're some people's dark horses not necessarily to win it but to do well and, and make an impression so maybe watch this space with the Dutch awesome. Dutch also have just some of the very best names on any of the rosters uh, just perusing it I mean apart from um, Midiama whose first name is Vivian they also have a Claudia van den Hilgenberg which is <laughs> an amazing name um, and uh, it's really do look like they if they can overcome China in, in that Group A match, that they'll have a very good chance of qualifying for the knockout stage. Yeah, uh, I know we were already mentioning that the guys are getting the, the women's kit here in the U.S., but if, if you're going to get a Dutch women's kit, you, you might need to get an extra large to fit all of the all the letters <laughs> on there. Um, for uh, Obviously, I started with the Dutch because that's kind of new for me. I, I do follow the women's team, um, albeit not religiously, but... Uh, for a player for me, you know, I mentioned earlier that I have a lot of friends that'll, you know, kind of talk down women's sports as a whole, saying it's less athletic. Um, and so that's why the player I'm going to say to look out for is Sydney LaRue, because she is so fast. Um, and it's really, really exciting to watch. Uh, two or three years ago, I, I made an Aaron Lennon comp, but then Aaron Lennon hasn't really been my favorite at Tottenham of late. But, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how it's, how it's just technique and, and stuff like that, and that it's a slow game. And, and so that's that's who I would point to to, to kind of bu burst that bubble. Um, U.S. also have a tough group with Australia and Sweden, so uh, that'll be interesting to see. But, you know, I, I hate to do this because, you know, I'm, I'm a stronger supporter of the Dutch national team for men. But the U.S., uh, you know, really need to win this one. I mean, obviously we're, we're home of, of the biggest domestic league. Is that true? Biggest or best? or I don't know. We were talking about it a little bit pre-show. I guess that the jury's out, isn't it? It depends on your preference. I think from my perspective, the USA has probably the most accessible league because you're able to watch mm. it over social media through YouTube. More people can see it. We don't necessarily have that in other countries. Um, you have high-profile players there. You have some of the biggest international players, not necessarily this season because a lot of those players are uh, going into training camps with their, their national teams, so they're not necessarily playing in the league this side of the World Cup. But... In the, in the few years that the, the NWSL has been going. Uh, it's certainly been well followed and, and, and well respected by people. But it, it, it's all about personal preference, I think. But uh, from my perspective, that the US League is certainly up there. Kieran, can I ask a question, actually? Um, we mentioned just now that the, uh, the increase in teams for, for this World Cup makes it the biggest women's World Cup um, to date. Do, do you think that is a good move? Or do you think it might have been 
too much too soon perhaps i'm just wondering because when making a competition a bit bigger we've seen it in a men's game on, on a few occasions where um you, you know some of the numbers are made up by teams which yeah they need experience playing against the top sides but does it really enhance the competition as a whole rather than uh, making it a bit more elitist uh, i'm not saying I'm, i want it to be elitist i want to see the teams facing you know the top talent because they need to learn uh, to learn the game and, and and to improve that but i didn't know whether this was um perhaps a step step too soon for the women's game or do you think it's about right from a personal perspective i think it's about right and i think the only way we're going to find out is actually by by doing it and allowing the teams to participate as we mentioned already teams like holland will be uh, participating in their first world cup and, and holland are incredibly talented and maybe if the tournament hadn't been expanded we not, might not be seeing holland in the competition right. so from a personal perspective i think it's about right but i think until we actually see it in action we're never we're not really going to know but uh, i think if the game wants to grow as i mentioned already with the european championships in 2017 that's also going to grow as well that traditionally has been 12 teams that's going to be growing to 16 teams for the next tournament so i think what the, the governing bodies are trying to do is trying to give those teams the opportunity to to get their foot on the ladder if you like and the more tournaments they participate in the more experience they're going to get and the only way these teams are going to get better is by playing against the best teams in the world very much so yeah. I also have a question for Kieran <laughs> and my, mine's actually a little bit more of a traditionalist question in that there are a number of uh, the old guard that are going to be coming out for this World Cup and more so in the women's game than in the men's. The old guard may mean a player who's still only in her mid to late 20s, but will have maybe played two, three World Cups. Uh, specifically with regards to Brazil and with Marta and Christiane, um, Christine, excuse me, um, do you see like, a good like, run in Brazil at this point? Or, or do you think that the number of matches that they've played is going to weigh heavy on their legs come the knockout stage? The biggest challenge for the older players is going to be the fact that the majority of this competition is being played on turf. And I think that you guys will probably know from the publicity yeah. there have been some high-level legal battles that have now been dropped. Um, I know that certain older players are concerned that trying to play a number of games in a short space of time is going to to be very demanding on their bodies and players like Marta and Christiane, yeah, it, it could be a problem for them. And, and I think that's probably why Kelly Smith announced her in international retirement before the competition, because I can tell you now, Kelly is still talented enough, even at the age of 36, to represent England. But to try and go and play that tournament on turf week after week, and you know, we're talking about games within days of each other, it's a big demand, and, and you may be right. It could be a challenge, but I think this World Cup, more than any other that we've seen in the past, squad rotation may well play a part, and we may well see more players being used than we've seen in previous tournaments. So building on that then, do you think that the, uh, the nations that have vibrant domestic leagues will have an advantage come the knockout stage? Because by definition, they have deeper squads. They have more women that are playing professionally, either uh, at home or abroad. Yeah, possibly, but it all, might also mean that they've played more games over the last six yeah, to 12 months. And it might be that they're not as fresh as players that don't have strong domestic leagues. Um, but from a personal perspective, yeah, I really do think if you look at the teams we've already mentioned that are going to be favourites, Germany have a very strong domestic league. FFC, FFC Frankfurt are in the UEFA Women's Champions League final. Wolfsburg are in the semi-finals. France, PSG are in the UEFA Women's Champions League final. 
Leon are an incredibly strong team within that domestic league. The USA, very strong league in the NWSL. So, yeah, I think those countries that probably have strong domestic leagues are going to be favourites. However, a lot of the countries that are participating in this World Cup also have players that represent teams in those leagues. New Zealand, looking at Group A, have players playing in the US and, and other countries with big leagues. So it's going to be difficult to say, but I think this is why this World Cup is going to be so exciting because there are big players playing in big leagues, playing for big teams, and through that they're going to have great experience and they're going to be able to to produce that on the biggest stage in the women's game. Hey, Kieran, is there one team you uh, recommend watching uh, in the World Cup or or a dark or a dark horse that's worth, uh, yeah, I mean, worth looking out for? What I should have done and didn't do is I didn't mention Australia. Um, who are in the U.S.'s group. And, and Australia are one of those teams that, you know, we were talking about big leagues. And, and those Australian players are are playing in the big leagues. You know, the majority of them play in the U.S. and, and some of the other leagues as well. And, you know, they, they've got, they're in the toughest group. But on their day, they are capable of, of, of really challenging the bigger side. So they're, they're certainly a team to watch. And um, I mentioned the French wonderfully, wonderfully gifted players, you know, technically wonderful. They They completely... They played USA at home um, at the beginning of the year and they absolutely played them off the park. The US just did not get hold of the ball. And we're talking about one of the best teams in the world here and the US were just not in the game at all. So if you're looking for a technically gifted team, watch the French. If you're looking for um, power and just ruthlessness, then the Germans, as you mentioned, Jay, they were ruthless at Wembley. Absolutely yeah, ruthless. You know, they, yeah, yeah. they destroyed England. England didn't set up right. England were naive and... And that's where Mark Sampson's going to have to get that balance right because uh, I wrote a World Cup preview for for something that's coming out soon. And um, in the game against Germany, they played, they set up to attacking and they got they got exploited. And then against the US in Milton Keynes, uh, they played far too defensive and and played most of the game in their own half and and rarely rarely troubled the US. Um, but yeah, I just genuinely, I think it's going to be an exciting World Cup. I'm, I'm really excited about it, and uh, I wouldn't be going out there, you know, if I wasn't. And um, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and you're right, you know, why does it matter if it's girls playing? It's football, and and some of the goals and some of the techniques and the skills that you'll see will be. It wouldn't matter if it was a man or a woman. Look at Stephanie Roach's goal that was nominated for the Puskas. Yeah, that was an amazing I, I, goal. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot I think a lot of fans, if they do tune in, having not watched women's football before, will be very surprised. I really do at the quality level yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm one of the things that I I wanted to mention um, earlier was another way to make it more popular is. EA have found a way to steal our money every four years with a World Cup game that they'll also release in-game a month later. Uh, steal my money for a Women's World Cup game. Well, there, there is a... If you look online, I think there is actually a petition to try and get not necessarily a Women's World Cup FIFA game, but trying to get women's teams on FIFA. Well, at least that. Which, you know, why, why not? You know, you yeah. have you have teams from countries. Let's be honest; few people are really care. You know, care about picking. Yeah. And if you start, I can guarantee, if EA started to put women's teams on FIFA, their sales would would go up. Because they would. And and the awesome thing about that is that the best way to motivate people to get involved in at least a discussion about it is by leaving out a team. Right, because say they aren't able to put in every good team, right? So maybe they'll put five or six, and then there'll be whoever the seventh best team is 
be like, well, why did we get left out? And then they're like, oh, they think they have a case for being left out. We shouldn't have been left out. And now all of a sudden you have like 30 groups of people hounding EA to make a game. I I don't know. I, I think that that would rampantly increase popularity because kind of like the fantasy thing, it's become massively popular to be a fan in front of your computer. So why not capitalize on that? If people can go to Blackburn and watch David Dunn play football, they can certainly watch <laughs> any of the women that are playing for any of the top 12 international sides come and play football. Oh, I love that. It's breathtakingly, it's, it's amazingly good football. There is actually an NWSL, there is an American uh, fantasy team, fantasy uh, fantasy game, nwslfl.com. Um, so that that is actually something that's been running since the NWSL started. So you, if you want to get some ideas for your fantasy game, that, that NWSL.fl NWSLFL.com. So NWSLFootballLeague.com, I think it must be it nice. must stand for. I don't know, but yeah, NWSL Fantasy League. So NWSLFL.com. There is actually a fantasy game that is uh, that is up and running. That's amazing. No, I have to take a look at it. I haven't seen it yet. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us, but we are out of time. So if, have, so if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can check our website out, TheEaglesBeak.com, and we're very active on social media, particularly Twitter, so you can catch us there at TheEaglesBeak. And this has been John Wallen. I am on Twitter at Fantasy Gaffer. You can find my writing, uh, rankings for Premier League players, a lot of content coming out on the Women's World Cup at uh, Playtaga, uh, which is P-L-A-Y-T-O-G-G-A. And uh, we have uh, an app for the Premier League. It's a weekly game called Perfect Eleven, which you can find for both iPhone and Android now. And coming in two weeks, we will have the Women's World Cup Challenge, which is going to be uh, the only game like it. It's going to be... uh, fantasy for the women's world cup and we hope to have all of you come and play yeah thank you very much for inviting me onto my first epl roundtable. Uh, if you wish to follow women's soccer zone on twitter we're on at woso zone you can listen to the show fortnightly on audioboom.com forward slash woso zone or you can download us from itunes yeah and uh kieran congratulations on what for being promoted i know that's your premier league of choice um and so thank you very much for coming on and answering all of the questions we had and confirming all the things that we thought we knew um, time anytime awesome uh for me i'm also doing uh rankings over on playtaga.com um have an article right now up on uh the eagle's beak if you want to go check that out uh as for me on twitter i'm at kevroff if you'd like to reach the podcast you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.